Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome and good morning and good May. We are in the beginning of May and the energy does feel like it's building. This is a powerful time to unfold and to expand into your highest potential. And one of the ways to do that is to discover not how to bring spirituality into your life, but how to create life throughout all of its own spirituality. So today's show is going to be quite powerful for you in learning how to utilize many of the things around you that will allow a deeper spiritual experience. In the spiritual realm, nothing is ours by right. Although spiritual practices can often help us, the results depend on grace. They are not automatic. Deep insights through mystical experiences sometimes arise spontaneously. Everything we receive is a gift. Being thankful helps to maintain the flow of spirit. The more we receive, the more we can give. And the more we give, the more we can receive. Spiritual practices may help to illuminate our understanding of ultimate consciousness, such Ananda, God, or whatever name you prefer to give to the ground of all being. Your own being and the experience are, according to many traditions, directly linked to the source of all. Your inner consciousness, Atman, is Brahman, as the Hindu tradition puts it. In the Christian tradition, humans are images of God, not because God is like a gigantic human, but because human beings participate in God's being, as expressed through the creative Logos and the Holy Spirit. This is from Dr. Rupert Sheldrake's wonderful new book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, Seven Spiritual Practices for a Scientific Age. He had a prior book that was titled Science and Spiritual Practices, in which he discussed seven different practices that were investigated empirically by both practitioners and by scientists studying the effects of their practices. Those things included meditation, the flow of gratitude, reconnecting with the more-than-human world, relating to plants, rituals and the presence of the past, singing, chanting, and the power of music, and pilgrimages in holy places. In this particular book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, he discusses seven further practices, and they happen to be around sports, animals, fasting, psychedelics, the power of prayer, holy festivals, and cultivating certain habits while also being kind. Dr. Rupert Sheldrake is a biologist and author of more than 90 technical papers and 14 books, including Science Set Free. After studying at Cambridge and Harvard Universities, he worked in Hyderabad, India, as a principal plant physiologist at the International Crops Research Institute. And he lived for two years in the Benedictine ashram of Father Beattie Griffiths. From 2005 to 2010, he was the director of the Parrot Warwick Project for the study of unexplained human and animal abilities. And he is currently a fellow of the Institute of Noetic Sciences in Petaluma, California, and of Shoemaker College of Dartington, Devon, UK. Welcome, uh, Rupert, to 1111 Talk Radio. It is a joy to have you here. Good to be with you. I think that this time that we are in, and it has been this way for several decades, there has been this bridging or attempt to bridge science and spirituality. And we are in 
very much a mind-driven society that many people try to figure out the actual way to get to something that is so nonlinear, that is so mystical in itself. Uh, With your two books, Ways to Go Beyond, and your prior book, uh, where you discuss that, and that one's titled Science and Spiritual Practices. In your own research, talk a little bit about the divide between science and spirituality and how you have seen that shift and change over the decades of your work. Well, the, the official doctrine in science for a long time, since the late 19th century, has been mechanistic materialism, namely the doctrine that nature's inanimate, dead, unconscious, purposeless, matter's the only reality, our minds are nothing but our brains, and there's no such thing as God or spiritual reality. Well, obviously, as a worldview, that conflicts with every kind of religion or spirituality, so it has posed a big problem between science and spirituality. But the mechanistic materialist worldview is just that. It's a worldview, it's a belief system, it's a philosophy of nature, if you like. It's not a scientific fact. And all these doctrines of mechanistic materialism are, in fact, assumptions. And as I show in my book, Science Set Free, every one of these assumptions, there are 10 fundamental assumptions, is highly questionable in the light of science itself. In fact, I would say that all 10 of them have been refuted by the advances of science, although most scientists and particularly believers in scientism, people who've made science a kind of religion, don't realize it. Now, when we look at science as it actually is, as opposed to this ideology of materialism, this belief system, uh, then we find that it's not in conflict with spiritual practices. The question of the reality of Um, The spiritual realm is an open question, not closed. And secondly, um, when the sciences have actually looked at spiritual practices and their effects, rather than dismissing them out of hand, um, what they've found through decades of research now is that spiritual and religious practices have measurable and usually beneficial effects, that people who have regular practices tend to live longer uh, are happier and and um, are less depressed and healthier. So spiritual practices are good for you and the scientific study of these spiritual practices of, of which I discussed seven in each of these two books um, has illuminated what's happening in the practices, how they affect our brains, our physiology, our mental state, um, uh, our well-being. Um, The science can't directly study the spiritual effects of these practices, but it can study the effects of the spiritual connections, which are reflected in well-being, prevention of depression or reduction of depression, um, better relationships with others, and so on. And so in your own work, especially the work around morphogenetic fields, and you look at the evolution of humanity and our expansion of consciousness and this this rising that seems to be occurring now where individuals are shifting from the the tighter constructs of religion to a broader-based feeling and sense of spirituality and an interconnection of things. How do you see both science shifting as well as human beings shifting in their opening to 
uh, experience the spiritual more and more in the everyday. Well, I think that the science is shifting at the moment because there are several crises within science. Um, within biology, the dogmatic materialist position puts an enormous emphasis on genes and genetic inheritance. It now turns out that there's much more to inheritance than genes. The missing heritability problem um, is what it's called in biology. It turns out that about 80% or 90% of inheritance can't be explained in terms of genes. And um, it, there's also a recognition of epigenetic inheritance, the inheritance of acquired characters, as it used to be called. Uh, my own ideas on morphic resonance give a whole new way of looking at ev uh, evolution and at inheritance. So that's one kind of opening up. There's an opening up through cosmology, um, a recognition that 95% of the universe, dark matter and dark energy, uh, is utterly unknown to us. So we're in the midst of mystery, even according to official physics. And through consciousness studies, the sciences are now beginning to investigate the very nature of consciousness itself and conscious experiences, including mystical experiences, near-death experiences, altered states of consciousness, psychedelic experiences, and so on. And so this has led to a broadening of the scope of science and a greater opportunity for overlap uh, in investigations of spiritual practices. I think that the uh, opening of science and this recognition that spiritual practices are common to all religions um, not only uh, opens up the realm of spiritual practices themselves, which of which there are many and which uh, all of us can potentially take part in whether we're part of religion or not. I think it's also helping to change religions themselves because um, they've always been founded on spiritually and mystical experiences. That's the ground of every religion. I, the Buddha didn't become enlightened by doing a PhD, for example. Uh, Jesus didn't recognize his direct connection with God through going to a rabbinical seminary. These were direct experiences, which we could call mystical experiences, experiences of union or connection. Um, and that really is at the core of all religions. And it can get overlaid with doctrines and, and um, habits. But I think uh, the challenge for religions today is to rediscover these spiritual cores. And so that people can be either be spiritual but not religious, as many people are, uh, but also spiritual and religious. Um, and uh, I think that's becoming increasingly clear. It does appear with many of the younger generations, and I think it, it was more highly noticeable with millennials, that they are leaning more towards the spiritual. And they do tend to engage in a lot of these practices, particularly the things like the psychedelics, that you end up talking about in the book, or they would be the ones to more engage in the things like the sports or ritual in their own way that is expanding the, the ability to tap into and connect to oneself even more. But the millennials and some of those generations have also been accused of being very self-oriented or self-centered. Do these two things go hand in hand with the direction that we're moving as a uh, species in terms of reclaiming that infinite within us? Is there, is there a need to be more 
uh, attuned solely to the self in order to then create that connection that you talk about that is our morphogenetic field? Well, I think some of these spiritual practices are more about discovering the inner nature of the self. Meditation, for example, is primarily about the ground of consciousness itself. And of course, if you're a materialist, you would, and a lot of materialists and atheists do meditate now, um, you could see this as just something changing inside your brain. But the traditional uh, reason for meditation has been that um, the very nature of consciousness, uh, the very ground of the self, um, Atman, in, in, uh, the, the personal self, is, is, is very closely related to, is a, is a fractal version in a way of Brahman, the ultimate um, subjective consciousness of, of behind and within all reality. So even the self is not just about me. Um, but some of these spiritual practices are about connecting uh, more widely than the individual self, because part of our spiritual nature is to uh, to do with connecting with other people. And all religions have this social dimension, and singing and chanting, for example, as a spiritual practice, is something that can bring us together uh, with other people. We literally come into resonance with others through singing or chanting together. My wife, Jill Purse, teaches chanting workshops, singing and chanting workshops. She's now doing them online. And I've seen through years of experience how uh, a number of disparate individuals come together and then through chanting together for a couple of days with Jill, um, they are tremendously empowered. They leave these workshops glowing, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, because the effect of connecting not only with the spiritual realm, but with each other, and the, each other through the spiritual realm is very, very powerful. And uh, other practices that I discuss, um, learning from animals, for example, which is one of the topics in my book, Ways to Go Beyond, um, is about how we can learn from nature in science and spiritual practices. I have a chapter on connecting with plants. And I think that connecting with the non-human realm is very important too because the whole of nature is a reflection of the spirit not just human subjectivity um, and the practice of pilgrimage is one that in connects us with tradition with holy places with nature through walking through the countryside so all of these i think uh, that take us beyond a narrow self-focus which some new age type practices could could indeed be accused of my guest today is Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, and he is the author of Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, along with many other books. These are seven spiritual practices for a scientific age. He is a scientist and spiritual explorer, and he looks at these seven practices that are personally transformative and have scientifically measurable effects. He combines the latest scientific research with his extensive knowledge of mystical traditions to show how we may tune into more than human realms of consciousness through psychedelics such as ayahuasca and how everyday activities can have mystical dimensions, including sports and learning from animals. He discusses the traditional religious practices such as fasting, prayer, and the celebration of festivals and holy days. Why do these practices work? 
Are they effects solely inside your brain and essentially illusory? Or can you make the contact with forms of consciousness greater than your own? That's what you can discover in Ways to Go Beyond. We are in the midst of a spiritual revival, and this book is an essential guide. You can find out more about him and all of his work at sheldrake.org. In addition, he has a workshop going on this evening this weekend that has to do with animal connection and he will talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. I would like to also mention uh, one of our sponsors, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp can help you with that. They are offering 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11. BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise available that may not be available in your local area. It is a service for clients worldwide, and it is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp wants you to feel and experience happiness, and they will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log into your account at any time, send a message to your counselor, and you will get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video, or phone sessions so you don't ever have to leave the comfort of your home. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counselors if needed. They want you to start living a happier life today, and you can visit their website to read their testimonials that are posted daily. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash 11 for 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash 11 that's H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health health with the help of an experienced professional. We will be right back after these messages with more of Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, Seven Spiritual Practices for a Scientific Age. Check him out at sheldrake.org. We'll be right back. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. 
Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before I get back to the brilliant Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and his book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, I want to tell you about One Spirit Learning Alliance. In this seemingly chaotic and rapidly changing world, it can be difficult to know what is mine to do. And if you're listening to this particular radio show, you probably love to study various spiritual traditions and might also be seeking more structure and an open-hearted community. If you're a nomad, a spiritual nomad who is yearning for an interspiritual community to grow with or are a sacred activist sensing a deeper calling to be of service to the world, then I've got something for you. One Spirit Learning Alliance. It is a wonderful exploration of spirituality where you are deeper in community, and it allows you to expand into many different areas. Anyone can buy an ordination online, but through One Spirit's deep transformative training, I've been able to see that there are skills and confidence, earned credentials, and uh, spiritual community where companionship is at work here. Do you desire to gain professional training and credentials to be able to serve and help others from a place of confidence? Are you always the person others come to to confide in? And do you want to expand your skill set and presence to listen and witness others uncover their authentic selves? I've found the brave space to live authentically and to integrate the many pieces of spiritual self to show up fully in the world through deepening into who I am and to diving into community and learning. By coming out of the spiritual training, feeling equipped and supported, you'll know that you can serve wherever you are needed. So I ask you, do you love helping people discover their inner guidance and want to professionally in a spiritual framework support them outside of a typical therapy paradigm? If you're looking for more formal exploration of spiritual wisdom traditions to expand your heart beyond the traditions you may have grown up with, I invite you to discover One Spirit Learning Alliance. Celebrate the rich spectrum of authentic wisdom traditions and religions, their diversity, as well as their commonalities. Step into this calling and complete the training. Life brings you the unexpected opportunities. By becoming credentialed by leading interspiritual interfaith institution with nearly 20 years of experience in ordaining training ministers, counselors, and activists, you are part of a thriving community that shares your vision for a better world. You can find out more at onespirit.org. So I definitely invite you to visit that site and look at all that they have to offer. 
The spiritual experiences that occur during meditation are often described as being beyond time and space. They are not so much an awareness of change as an awareness of timeless ground of being. By contrast, in sports, people experience being in the flow, literally in a process of movement. This corresponds to a different aspect of spiritual reality. Dr. Rupert Sheldrake dives into this as one of the seven spiritual practices for a scientific age for a way to go beyond and why it will work. You can find out more about Rupert at sheldrake.org. Rupert, let's talk a little bit about sports and how how sports really do bring people to a place of presence because if you are in the midst of a game or you're in the midst of something that requires a lot of speed, Every part of you has to be in that moment. And ultimately, isn't that the state that we're trying to attain to move really beyond all of our stories, all of our identities, all of who we are, and really become the moment and the experience? Well, yes. I think if you look at um, spiritual practices like meditation, they're very much about being in the present. And Although sports seem almost the opposite in the sense that people are active, um, they're moving fast as opposed to sitting still uh, in meditation. Um, Actually, the aim, I think, of many sports practices is a kind of spiritual aim. In the modern world, they seem supremely secular. But in the Eastern world, it's long been recognized that sports have a spiritual dimension this, I first realized this when I read that famous classic, Zen and the Art of Archery, um, by Herigal, which describes his years of training with the Zen master in Japan, um, so that it's not just about the arrow hitting the target in the right place, it's about being in a state of presence and flow, which enables that to happen. And I think a lot of people... Uh, who lead busy lives in the modern world who wouldn't dream of meditating or doing other spiritual practices, find that through participating in sports, even as a spectator, say, at a football match, um, that they um, are brought into the present. And after all, if you're going downhill on the skis at 60 miles an hour, you have to be totally in the present because if you lose concentration, you start worrying about if you paid these bills or financial problems or what you should have said to someone you had a row with or something like that, you'll go over a cliff and you'll be dead. You have to be completely attentive from moment to moment. I think that's one of the reasons people like driving motorbikes and cars and planes very fast. It's the thrill of speed is associated with the sense of utter danger because if you don't concentrate, you're dead. So you have to concentrate. And some of these very dangerous sports, like um, a base jumping or high line uh, solo, uh, free high line, walking on sort of tightrope type lines over thousand foot drops with no safety harness. I spoke to the world champion of that, um, uh, um, a chap called um, Fritz, a German, and he said that when he was doing this, he was so in the present that it was an utterly blissful spiritual experience. That's why he keeps doing it, though it endangers his life. Um, the uh, effect of this, to be being in the present, is so powerful. So I think there's a hidden side of sports. Uh, some people have pointed this out, particularly 
Michael Murphy, who founded the Esalen Institute in California. Uh, he wrote a book called Golf in the Kingdom, pointing out that uh, there can be a spiritual dimension to playing golf. And uh, that book's a kind of classic bestseller among golf players. Um, so I think there are a lot of people within the sports world who do recognize this spiritual dimension, but a lot of people, I think, benefit from it without even giving it a moment's thought. And um, I think actually that sports are one of the ways in the modern world, in secular societies, where people uh, go into altered states of consciousness. Um, I think that's the main reason many of them do the sports, uh, but without necessarily recognizing this spiritual dimension. In the last segment, you referenced different religions, and they really are quite, uh, have a lot in common when it comes to many of the practices that they, uh, they advocate for their practitioners. And most of those are practices that have us detach or have us move into a zone or take us out of the materiality of our world and create that space of utter presence. And when you're talking about sports, it seems as if that that's an activity much like dancing might be or even someone that might be painting where you're so embodied within the activity that all of a sudden you're beyond space and time. What's the distinction between that, particularly when it comes to the speed and the type that's more of that adrenaline rush or that um, that moves into more of that uh, anxious, not anxious, but that that type of energy that really has you kind of in an overdrive. Where's what's the distinction between that and the calm, continuous flow that you speak about in your book? Well, I think spiritual practices are about connections with ultimate consciousness. And if we look at different spiritual traditions, we see that ultimate consciousness is conceived of not as a single unified a uh, single um, state of consciousness, but has internal differentiation. In um, in in the Hindu world, uh, the ultimate consciousness is sometimes described as Sat Chit Ananda, and Sat means being, it's conscious being, the ground of consciousness itself. Chit are the contents of consciousness, what Hindus call Nama Rupa, names and forms, um, and. Ananda is joy or bliss, uh, but it's also associated with movement and change. And the Christian Holy Trinity, God the Father, is the ground of all being. I am that I am, as God says to Moses in the burning bush. Um, then God the Son, the Logos, uh, is like Chit. It's about names and forms, the contents of consciousness, what is known. God the Father, or Sat, is the knower. And there's that which is known. And the Holy Spirit, the third aspect of the Holy Trinity, is that movement, that divine movement or flow of energy. Now, I think that some spiritual practices connect with the Holy Spirit, the flow or, uh, of energy. Um, and I think sports do that. Dancing does that. Singing and chanting do that. Um, some spiritual practices, like the contemplation of the beauty of flowers, are more static, they're less to do with movement and more to do with visual harmony. 
um, like art and architecture. And most religions go in for beauty in a big way. I mean, there are wonderfully beautiful temples in India. There are marvelous Muslim tombs like the Taj Mahal and wonderful mosques. There are beautiful cathedrals. There are lovely Buddhist temples. Beauty is um, an aspect of the divine. Um, and that's more to do with the logos, that principle of order and harmony and, and names and forms. And then I think meditation, which is about the calmness of entering the ground of consciousness, is more about connecting with sat, that ground of being, and conscious being, which is, is part of this ultimate trinity, this threefold nature of the divine. So I think just as the divine nature is internally differentiated and has different aspects, um, so spiritual practices which seem at first very different, like sports and meditation seem almost opposite, um, I think uh, connect with different aspects of ultimate reality or the spirit. There isn't just one aspect of the spirit, there are at least three. Um, and for Muslims, where they have the 99 names of God, although Islam is extremely monotheistic, uh, these 99 names or attributes of God are ways in which the divine manifests in the world. So there's 99 different ways of relating to the divine and um, aspects of the divine as manifest, as manifest in human and natural life. So I think that the uh, when you think of it in that way, uh, what seems at first puzzling that such very different practices can be spiritual ways of connecting, even though they're so different from each other, uh, it makes more sense. And you talk about three uh, conditions that have to be met to achieve that state of being in the flow. And one of those has to do with the clear set of goals of the task and the direction. Uh, another has to do with... Um, clear and immediate feedback so that you're maintaining that flow state. And then the third has to do with a good balance between the challenges and the person's perceived skills so that they have a confidence in their ability to complete the task. And as I was reading this, it, it almost feels like whenever we're in those kinds of states, whether it is sports or something else, that it is this part of the human spirit that is desiring to grow and to excel. And in, in that, we fuse with spirit and we really kind of rise higher than what we would in our normal mundane 3D world experience. Yes, uh, very much so. And I think these, these three characteristics are, are, are features of flow experiences in general, not just in sports. I mean, sports clearly is a flow type experience. But you can also enter these flow states through art, through the practice of art, through music and dancing, um, through being absorbed in work, uh, through being absorbed in a great conversation, through helping somebody and being very engaged in helping them. Um, and I think having a clear goal or intention is important because it means you know what you're doing and where you're going. You don't have to keep stopping and wondering, oh, should I be doing that or should I be doing this? Then your discursive mind enters and that disrupts the flow. Um, and having enough skill is important for these flow states because if you haven't got enough skill to be, say you're trying to ski and you keep falling off, then obviously you're not going to enter a flow state in skiing. Um, so you need to have a sufficient level of competence to uh, to do it. 
And then the point about the challenge is is that if, if you're not challenged enough, you get bored. If you're challenged too much, you give up. So it should be difficult, but not too difficult. Um, and again, this is something, these are lessons we can apply in our everyday lives as well. I mean, one of the points I try to make in my books is that we don't necessarily need to go on uh, retreats to exotic ashrams in India. Um, I mean, I have lived in an ashram in India and I greatly appreciated it. But one of the lessons I learned was how to, uh, that the spiritual life can be led as part of ordinary everyday life, that animals and plants that one encounters in one's everyday life, everyday activities, um, including physical activities, can bring one into a state of flow. Um, and so it's a matter of finding practices that can be done as part of our normal lives um, that ultimately connect and spiritualize our ordinary lives while our ordinary lives remain part of the normal world and connected with other people. Do not fit spirituality into your life. Let life fit into your spirituality. We are used to the idea that invisible fields extend beyond material objects. The magnetic field of a magnet is both within the magnet itself and extends beyond it. The gravitational field of the earth is both within the earth and stretches out invisibly into space, holding the moon in its orbit and holding us down to the earth. You are here as part of the whole. And we're going to move into the next segment talking a little bit more about telepathy, animals, psychedelics, and fasting. You can find out more about Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and all of his work and his many books at sheldrake.org. If you're interested in knowing some of your own practices for a scientific age that will allow you to have ways to go beyond and have them work, then I invite you to get his book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, in addition to his previous book of this um, this pointing, which was Science and Spiritual Practices. Again, you can find out more at sheldrake.org. In addition, check out the website so that you can learn about a workshop that is taking place this weekend that has to do with animals and communication. Uh, we will let Dr. Sheldrake talk a little bit about that in the next segment. We'll be right back after these messages. Do you want more? More joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? more empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Just as prayer can reinforce the experience of connection to more than human consciousness, not praying can reinforce the experience of a disconnection from more than human consciousness and strengthen the belief that we live in a world of purposeless matter. In the modern secular world, the default assumption of most non-religious people is that the universe is non-conscious and that there's no such thing as divine intervention. Humans are able to control the environment with no help from anything outside themselves, with no possibility of such help. We humans are on our own. The universe has no ultimate purpose or meaning. Are you willing to believe that or do you, are you willing to believe that there are ways to go beyond and why they work? I am with Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, and we are discussing seven spiritual practices for a scientific age. Uh, Rupert is a biologist and author of more than 90 technical papers and 14 books. You can find out more at sheldrake.org, including a workshop that is happening this weekend around animals. So let's start right there, Rupert. Let's talk a little bit about animals and that sense of connection that they can bring I know that I've had dogs that truly have felt like spiritual guides and they often know things before I know things so talk a little bit about learning from animals well there are many things that animals can do much better than we can Um, one of them is psychic sensitivity you know they're more telepathic than most humans and I've done a great deal of research on telepathy in dogs and cats Um, I did it because as a biologist, I think if these phenomena exist, then they're biological phenomena, they're normal, not paranormal, natural, not supernatural, and that we humans have them not because we're special, but because we're animals. Uh, And dogs and cats and horses and parrots and a number of other animal species seem much more sensitive than we do. I've done research for years with Uh, people who have dogs, cats, and other animals. And many of them have found that their animals pick up their thoughts or intentions with an extreme sensitivity. Uh, So 
I wrote a book called Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home about my studies on animals that anticipate their owners' arrivals. Um, many animals do this. They wait at a door or window some 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour or more before the person comes home. And we know it's not just a matter of routine because we've done experiments where people come home at randomly chosen times that they don't know in advance. We let them know through a cell phone. Um, at the moment, they should... Uh, start setting setting off we know it's not just familiar car sounds because we have people travel in unfamiliar vehicles or by public transport and we film the dogs the whole time uh, so we know what they've been doing even when the people aren't coming home the evidence is very clear these animals know when their owners are coming home in a way they couldn't possibly know through sound smell picking up clues from the owner who's miles away or from people at home uh, because very often there aren't any people at home and if there are they don't know when the person's coming so we've um, the evidence is very powerful for telepathy in dogs and cats and many other examples of this which are discussed in my workshop which is called the unexplained powers of animals on Saturday and Sunday and the uh, that's one th area we can learn from another area is they have the ability to anticipate things, so premonitions or precognitions or presentiments. Um, many animals anticipate earthquakes and tsunamis. I've been studying this for years, and there's now very good evidence that they really do pick up, sometimes several days in advance, when one of these disasters is going to strike. Some of them also can pick up what's going to happen to their owners. Some people who suffer from epileptic seizures um, have what are called seizure alert dogs that can warn them up to half an hour in advance when a seizure is coming on. They don't know themselves. Uh, med medical sciences are unable to predict it. No medical devices can do this, but dogs can do it. And that's why they're proving so useful and thousands of epileptic people uh, rely on their dogs which have changed their lives. Um, and also, of course, animals have physical skills we don't. Birds can fly, moles can burrow underground. Um, um, so these are some of the things we can learn from animals. But one of the other things that I think is uh, particularly important is that animals very often have the ability to be in the present. The purpose of a lot of spiritual practices is to come into the present. Um, but animals don't have a default mode network in their brain working the same way as ours, making them worry all the time about things or undergo ruminations or anxieties. Uh, I mean, a dog can get anxious if its owner leaves it at home and it's not used to being left alone. Uh, certainly animals can be anxious and fearful. But um, much of the time they're much more present than humans. If a cat's sitting on your lap and purring while you stroke it, it's purring as a signal of it's, you know, it's contented, it's happy. It's happy to be there, to be there in that place. It's not constantly thinking and worrying about, you know, whether you're going to stroke it tomorrow or whether it's going to get fed tomorrow or uh, that kind of thing. So animals can also help us be in the present. And I think that's one of the reasons why more than 50% of American households have pets, uh, domestic animals. Um, 
in farms, in the older way of living, um, when most people were on farms, animals had useful roles. Cats caught mice, dogs protected the farm, they could be used as sheepdogs and so on. Um, but in a modern urban apartment, they don't have uh, much to do in terms of practical use, like on a farm. They're expensive, you have to pay veterinary bills, um, you know, you pick up the poop if dogs, when you take your dog for a walk, there are lots of disadvantages. And yet lots of people have them. And I think it's because they give this sense of connection, both with being in the present and also um, the sense of loyalty and, and, and commitment to their owners, that sense of caring for them. Many animals know when their owners are in distress and comfort them and have a healing effect, actually a measurable healing effect. Um, people who are sick or ill often get better quicker if they have companion animals than if they don't. So these are all things which we can learn from animals. And I'll be speaking about these and other ways in which we can learn from our animals and about my research with animals, which I've uh, been doing for many years, including databases of more than 6,000 case histories. Uh, these are some of the things I'll be talking about in my weekend seminar, The Unexplained Powers of Animals. Oh, and also uh, migration, homing pigeons, and the sense of direction. Beautiful. And you can find out more about that at sheldrake.org. So definitely be sure to go to his website. And uh, if you have interest in that, sign up for that seminar this weekend for the weekend workshop. Um, you also talk about fasting, and this is something that is common in many spiritual traditions. And as I was reading through your book, you talk a bit about how it not only affects our glands, but the breakdown of the fat um, turns into chemicals called ketones. And I found it interesting that it creates a certain type of scent that comes off of us through our, our breath in different ways. And so it seems like there's a lot of chemical uh, support systems that take place in allowing us to experience different things spiritually when we, when we do open ourselves to fasting. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, fasting, as you say, is present in many spiritual and religious traditions, including shamanic traditions where people often undergo fast before rites of passage like vision quests. Um, I myself, I'm a practicing Christian, an Anglican or Episcopalian in American terms, and I've myself fast every year during Lent, particularly in Holy Week, just before Easter. I usually do it for about four days, just tea and water, no food. Um, there are some people who do much longer fasts, of course. I, I don't hold myself up as a kind of spectacular faster but I do think it's an important practice and it has physiological effects flushing out senescent cells detoxify the body reducing toxins stored in fat cells uh, of course burning up fat um, losing weight that's not the primary reason because you tend to put it on again afterwards but uh, it's also psychoactive one of the ketones that are produced from the breakdown of fats during fasting is beta-hydroxybutyric acid, BHB, which is very closely related to gamma 
hydroxybutyric acid, GHB, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain, and gamma-aminobutyric acid, GABA, which is one of the main neurotransmitters in the nervous system. And fasting, by raising the levels of uh, uh, BHB, uh, affects the levels of these related compounds in the brain and the nervous system, and therefore has psychoactive effects. It makes people usually better able to concentrate, uh, feel calmer, um, can make it a bit harder to sleep. I find I don't sleep as well when I'm fasting, but I have much more vivid dreams. Um, so it, it has psychoactive effects, and for people who do longer fasts, it has even more uh, psychoactive effects. Sometimes people say um, any spiritual experience that comes about through drugs uh, can't be real because it depends on chemicals. Well, fasting is approved and uh, there's no one trying to say no to fasting or pass laws against fasting. Um, uh, is something which uh, also has psychoactive effects through changing the chemical balance within the nervous system. So uh, it has many benefits, spiritual uh, and physical, and we know more now than we ever did before about the physical effects and physiological effects of fasting. I personally think that if um, people who are able to fast safely, which is most people, uh, is not obviously recommended for anorexics or people on complex multiple medications or diabetics and so on, uh, but uh, for people who are, it's one of the simplest and most inexpensive health-promoting practices you could have. And there are people who, are, there are some good books on fasting, and there are some also people who can guide fasts, particularly naturopaths or Ayurvedic practitioners. Um, so anyone who wants to try it and doesn't feel confident doing it alone could find someone to guide them uh, on a fast. But it's a... a has the huge advantage of being something you can do at home for free. You can also pay thousands of dollars to go to a health farm uh, and eat nothing, but um, it's potentially the cheapest of all spiritual practices. Uh, you save money on food uh, and it doesn't cost anything. My guest today has been Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, and we are discussing ways to go beyond and why they work. This, along with his prior book, Science and Spiritual Practices, shows that there's a wide variety of ways to connect to greater conscious realities, however we conceive of them, and that the effects of these practices can be investigated scientifically. At the end of each chapter in both books, after the discussion of a particular kind of practice, Rupert suggests ways in which readers can experience the practice for themselves. We are on the threshold of a new era of exploration of consciousness, both through the revival of spiritual practice and also through scientific study. After several generations in which science and spirituality seem to be in opposition, they are becoming complementary. Together, they are contributing to an unprecedented phase of spiritual evolution beginning now. Pick up your copy of Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, and you'll learn about the spiritual side of sports, learning from animals, fasting, cannabis, psychedelics, and spiritual openings, the power of prayer, holy days and festivals, and cultivating good habits, avoiding bad habits, and being kind. Again, you can go to Dr. Rupert Sheldrake's website, sheldrake.org. Uh, you can find out information about his workshop this weekend in regard to animals, and discover all of his books. He has published 
14 books and is constantly doing more research on many things that will support humanity. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode and another amazing guest. Until then, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.